Yes, that's right. We are live. Get back to 1969. I am your host, Jeff Mater, for this Beatles podcast, where we are covering the three-part series, Peter Jackson's Get Back from Disney+. Plus. Uh, you know, we're, we're covering the second episode here, guys, and, uh, you know, we have uh, two special guests this week. Uh, uh, joining us who didn't join us last week, we'll bring him on in, Jake Shields. Let's bring him on in. Uh, Jake, how are you? Ah, can't complain. How are you tonight, Jeff? Good, good. Ready to talk about the Beatles. Uh, you didn't join us for the first episode, so before Josh joined, Josh is just uh, having some technical issues. Before he joins us, uh, let's just get your thoughts on the first episode since you weren't here last week. Uh, what did you make of the Twickenham uh, portion of this three-part series, and uh, what were your what were your like initial thoughts and takes on it? Uh, well, I guess seeing the second episode, it kind of gives you a good perspective on how things change when they move from Twickenham to the studio. Um, yeah, I think overall the first episode, it had a very, um, it's almost similar to like how the studios were. Like the Twickenham studio was kind of big and artificial and it was kind of dark and with the spotlights. It was very, um, it kind of, kind of set the mood for how things kind of went as the episode went along and ultimately how it finished. Um, Whereas you'll see in the second episode, they move to the studio. It's much brighter, much more intimate, and it's a much kind of better atmosphere. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. I think that was part of the problem was this whole idea that since Twickenham was the place they filmed the the Hey Jude music video, they're like, oh, let's go there. And Ringo's going to be shooting his movie there. So let's just go there. And it wasn't really a good idea. And once they got there in the first episode, you kind of saw like, oh, this is not good acoustically. Like it was okay for the, like to do a music video, but which they probably had backing tracks and everything set up for them. Whereas like to actually like rehearse and record an album in an empty warehouse is probably not a good idea. It it almost seemed like it was forced. It was almost like, all right, like, all right, you guys go there and we're going to film this and you do your thing. And it's, it was very, yeah, very artificial. It was very forced. It wasn't kind of natural with what they're used to. Yeah. And which is, so it's like, it, it's the band and their element, but not, it's like the middle of January. And I'm guessing it's pretty cold in, in London yeah. in January. Uh, you know, like they're in this empty, uncomfortable steel warehouse. I, I just don't think it was conducive for what the band, like you just said, was used to what mm-hmm. fed their creativity I think they're used to being kind of, you know, comfortable by now. They're, they've been the, the Beatles for, especially like the recording Beatles for like a good two plus years at this point. And, and you know, they're not torn anymore and they're just used to kind of being like sheltered. And I think that, you know, if you're going to like record them and film them and do all this stuff, I think it's probably much more conducive for them to be in the studio and not be in this like movie warehouse. So I understand why they didn't like it uh but so when this episode starts the second episode here uh, jake um you know we kind of see like it's ringo and paul show up to to, to twickenham and like john lennon again as always is late or is in bed and you know doesn't want to show up and then george is like left the group and we saw at the end of the last episode he's like i'm done see you later you know um so it's like what do they do like do they is this the end of the Beatles? Is, is this kind of just like a temporary setback? They're, they're, they don't really know. Uh, okay, one sec. We just got to add in Jake, your brother, Josh. He does, His camera's not working, but we'll add him in as the voice of God here. Josh, how are you? Or Have you watched the second episode of Get Back? And what are your thoughts? Quick, Early quick thoughts. Uh, it was a... Uh... 
it was very different than the first episode and i'd say it was different in a lot of good ways i think we got to see a little more of their personalities it wasn't just kind of paul yelling at everyone and writing songs the whole time so mm -hmm. i enjoyed it um and uh i'm i haven't watched this th third episode and i'm really excited to watch that so it obviously did its job yeah, I haven't watched the third one yet either. I've been kind of, you know, I watched these two back to back and then I was like, that's five hours of this documentary. And I kind of got to a point where I need to take a break. Um, even as a huge Beatles fan, I was like, I can't do yeah. it straight through. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, so go ahead, Jake. Uh, that's, yeah, that's the mistake I made. I watched all three episodes in like a 48 hour span. Mm hmm. So it was like information overload where I kind of like saw everything. It's almost like your brain can't like take any, all of it in. So like it actually happened a few times where I'd watch, I'd watch a couple of the episodes and then I'd like read something on Reddit or on Twitter about, Oh, this happened. And so I'm like, I don't even remember that. I got to go back and, and look at that. Cause like I, my brain didn't even register it. Cause it was way too much at one time. Yeah. It's, it's not, this documentary is not, extremely edited it's kind of it does allow a lot of breathe breathing time between segments and yeah. you see them j joking and goofing off a lot and so that part is not you know i could see another director who's not peter jackson who's not as big of a beatles fan as he is cutting a lot of this stuff and just be like that's not needed that's not necessary kind of like the original let it be film um, yeah. but this one, like, okay, so we get into this whole, I was, Josh, we were explaining to, uh, I was explaining to Jake before you, before you hopped on, you know, this whole episode starts with just Ringo and Paul show up at Twickenham and they're like, okay, what's going on? And then that's when John Lennon does show up because George has left the group. And then we get the whole hidden microphone in the flower pot conversation. Josh, what did you make of that conversation? Um, did you think, um, did, did you think that this was, uh, a conversation that went well or do you think it was you know a needed the thing like was a cool scene behind the glimpse of knowing they're being filmed yeah like it was interesting to see how they they talked when they it was just the two of them not just that they didn't know they were they were being recorded but you know in this all the other studio scenes there's a bunch of random people around so they're obviously kind of acting their you know they're putting they're putting up their walls a bit whereas in this this situation the the conversation was very choppy like you know obviously the recording but just in general they're kind of talking naturally to each other as kind of friends um and uh yeah i uh i thought it was cool it was you know it was really hard to hear so it was like you know you're reading you're reading along trying to you know make sense of what's what's being said but it was definitely um good to get a little bit of uh you know, it, it definitely explained the feelings that it seemed like the other band members were kind of annoyed with Paul, which I don't think came off as much in the first episode other than George. So it was good that we kind of got, you know, John saying that and Paul kind of not even denying it, saying, yeah, I get it, guys. Like, I really want to do this. So that was good to see. Yeah, I think it was really fascinating the way Paul looked at himself, especially in that conversation where he was like, I've always looked at like, you're the boss and I'm secondary boss. And, and then I like, like John kind of goes, well, not always, you know, there are songs where you literally become like the, the maestro almost. And you're telling, you know, you play like this and I, you know, these are my arrangements is basically and very defensive. And I think even John got to a point where he was like, you know, it's, he kind of says in the conversation, like, screw it, like do what you want to do. And, you know, I, he's like, I don't even fight you enough. Um, Jake, what did you kind of make of that conversation, the flower pot conversation? Uh, well, I thought it was important because 
to that point, they weren't really telling each other exactly what they were thinking. So it was kind of that good kind of venting back and forth, just to kind of get it out in the air, which I think was really important to them, you know, getting them to getting back together and then in turn getting George back, that they kind of put everything out in the open. Yeah, like that's a good way to put it because I, I, I see a lot like what you guys, what Josh was just saying, like they're always constantly around people. They're constantly having to be on and be – you know, their personas and kind of always, you know, laughing it off, joking it off and trying to keep it light. But when you when you do that, you you avoid getting what's really in your subconscious or even your, you know, like just getting it out, getting what you really, really think out in the open and airing your grievances and actually having a conversation about what's really bothering you. And you can tell that a lot of this is bottling up and is ready to explode. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, like, um. Like if say they knew they were on camera and knew they were being recorded, if this this discussion happened on camera, it would have been much more kind of passive aggressive, kind of joking, like, oh, you know, you are always taking control, blah, 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 you're Mr. Boss Man, whatever. But then just having a like a really like serious back and forth, which I think was important. Yeah, like and I'm guessing that's kind of what occurred in the first meeting that they have at, at Ringo's house when they start like they and Paul and Ringo are kind of talking about how Yoko spoke for John the whole time. So I think if they don't have this flower pot conversation, all they really get is what Yoko apparently was, was saying for John, like, do, like Josh, what do you make of that whole Yoko dynamic here that's going on uh, with, with the Beatles and, and especially with Paul? Yeah, I think this episode gave us more of a glimpse into that. I think we actually discussed last week with Dave, when Dave was here that, you know, the episode didn't really show Yoko as really being a problem. Like, yeah, she was always around, kind of just there. But, you know, they didn't really say anything negative about her. She didn't really say anything negative herself. Whereas in this episode, we definitely saw, um, you know, Paul made a few comments about her. He made that whole, you know, Yoko sat on an amp line. Um, and we did learn that she was the one talking for John at the, the first meeting at Ringo's house. Um, so it obviously shows that when they're not being recorded or they don't know they're being recorded, she's uh, running sort of the show a bit for John, which I think, you know, based on John's personality, which we really get to see in this episode, that makes sense. He seems like he's kind of just like a laid back, easygoing guy. He doesn't really care what what's going on. And Yoko's probably that one who's kind of pushing him to to make changes and 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 things like that. Yeah, and kind of like yeah, pushing him to be, you know step out of what he knows in his comfort zones, and that's what all a lot of like at the same time he's doing um, that like that primal scream therapy stuff with her and trying to get, I think a lot of his, um, his, his uh, trauma out of him, you know, through therapy basically in a way, but he's also kind of masking it with drug use. So there's a lot going on with John. Whereas I feel like that's not really brought up a lot in this documentary. It's just shown, uh, you know, uh, like there's one part when he does come in here at Twickenham, um, it's right after an interview that he did for actually, I think CBC, uh, and you can go watch that interview. And if you watch that interview, like him and Yoko are like out of it. Like they are like, they, they're not like they are here in the documentary. Like they're really like spacey. If you go watch that interview. Um, so here it's like, it's kind of different to see. I think it's really early in the morning when they're doing the interview. And that's probably why. And I think John 
like to stay up really late and write songs and that's that's probably also why you know but <laughs> you know you can see like the rock star lifestyle is kind of like weighing on all these guys um and they're kind of just had enough of you know this this whole idea of this of this documentary originally going to be a tv show I, I i just don't think it was a good idea like you know i'm glad we have it now but at the time i think it was not good for their band jake do you, do you kind of see what i'm saying here or do you kind of think like you know this was was a good idea if they didn't do this we know ne they never maybe would have made let it be an abbey road yeah it, it's it's hard to say like i think like their their idea originally to make the whole tv series sort of documentary type thing was well obviously to make money um but again, you knew that they were going to cut a lot of stuff out. They weren't going to actually show how it actually was. It was going to be more like a glorified music video, you know, look how great we are at making songs sort of thing. So yeah. I saw that part of it. But, um, yeah, I think it's hard to say because if they didn't do it, then maybe, uh, yeah, like you're, you're right. Maybe they don't come out with this album or maybe the songs are different or maybe it's kind of the whole change of the course of history of what happened. So it's kind of hard right. to say whether it was good or bad. Yeah, no, for sure. I just think for, for the dynamics of their band, and I think the reason why is because, and the thing that we don't really, they don't really speak about is the white album. Now, some, some of them say that, like, I know Ringo and Paul both say that the white album was like a really good time for the Beatles, but there was Ringo also left at one point, but he says that like a lot of them say that even George says it in the first episode, like, Oh, that was the only time I really, really got involved on an album. And, and, but John has also been, uh, I know quoted of saying that the white album is when the, the break of the Beatles started to occur because it was like, Paul, you go do your songs. John, you go do your songs. George is going to do his songs and bring Clapton in and all this different stuff. And this is the whole point of this get back. It's like, okay, we're going to put the four guys back in a room and we're going to make the music the way we used to. But they're 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 changing as people here. I think you can clearly see here that, and Josh, you know, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, is like, you can see how, like, you know, they all have their girlfriends or their, or, or their wives. They're all kind of, like, living in comfortable houses and coming together. They're not living on the road. Paul speaks to this in this episode. Do you think that just the dynamic is changing and it's just, like, inevitable that this break's going to happen and they can all see the writing on the wall? I mean, I think so. Like just relating it to my own experiences and like what I see with anyone is they became rock stars. They toured the world as rock stars. They, the Beatles became the biggest thing in the world. And now they're all kind of, okay, like we've done this for, you know, 10 years. Um, let's, you know, they changed it up when they stopped touring and now they've done a several studio albums. And I think, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they want to do more with their lives and, maybe they, they it's just not fun anymore right like it's obviously the fact that they're forcing themselves to to make this album in a short period of time it's almost like they're they don't want it it's work now they're, they're not enjoying it so they're kind of they're trying to bring back like you said that magic working together in a studio um but at the same time some of the comments i heard in this episode it's almost like they're doing it this way because they just want to get it over with right like like yeah let's just let's just record you know the songs in the studio and and we don't have to go back and make all these changes and then it's over in two weeks like let's work through the weekend because i don't want to have to work an extra week like they just they just want to get it done and get an album out because i think they do all realize it's been a while since they've released anything if they want to stay relevant they have to release something and this was sort of their way to to force that to happen but that's what I find so strange, Josh, because 
the White Album was released November 22nd, 1968. So that is literally only five weeks before they started this. So, okay. you know, it, it, it's not like, you know, they've been sitting, on, you know, for two years and they've, they've literally pumped out three albums in like a year and a half period, you know. But I think the thing is, it was their process that that they had a problem with, that it was like the White Album. It was like I know and I know John said this. They were basically four individuals all making their own songs. And then they basically just threw them together and called it the Beatles. But it wasn't really the Beatles. It was, you know, the individuals. It was the John Lennon song. It was the Paul song, you know. So I think they were like, okay, we can't call ourselves the Beatles anymore if we're not actually the Beatles. You know, so that's what I think this whole get back thing was about, was to actually start playing together again and force ourselves to play again and see if it works. And I think... You know, Jake, what do you think? Like, think is like, do you think they're getting along? Do you think that they are there? Like, is it is Paul like a big problem here where he just wants his songs the way he wants it and he's not being um, acrimonious enough to the other guys? Yeah, well, I think that's always been the case um, with Paul. He always seems to be kind of have his own idea and that's how he wants it to be. He'll take, obviously, take, he'll take input, but um, like going back to, uh, the discussion on how they want, like how they might break up because they all want kind of want different things or their their things are stale. I remember near the end of this episode when they're talking about um, how they can't do the live show anymore, the place they wanted to do it, it's too late to, to get it. Um, Paul seems upset because he's saying like, all right, so what are we doing? We're just going to sit here in the studio and record another album? Like, that's what we've been doing. Like, where's the payoff? Like, what's what's something different that we're going to tr- uh, do. Like we're the Beatles. We have to keep innovating. That's kind of what his message was. And it seems like the other guys were fine with just, Oh, let's just pump out another album. So yeah. that's where I kind of think the difference is. I think Paul is trying to think like, all right, let's, let's push the envelope here. Let's keep evolving. The other guys are kind of more just like, all right, let's just, you know, do the album. And that's great. I think uh, John like also was the one that wanted to to perform but like there's no there's no real foresight here and i think they're letting like the director michael lindsey hogg kind of have way too much say in like what they might or may not do you know and so like and i think we saw it in the first episode where paul's kind of like upset that you know i don't want to be the boss and ever since mr epstein died we've kind of like lost our, our our captain our rudder on our ship and and so I think it's just difficult for one of them to be like, no, this is what we're doing because it used to be Brian, but now he's gone. And, and so it's hard for them to like, you know, no, you're wrong or no, I'm wrong. Or, you know, like all that kind of stuff I think is going on with them. Um, so Paul's taking the reins a little bit. And I think it bothers like a George or it bothers a John in certain moments where it's like, well, no, I don't want to do that. Cause you want to do it. Or, you know, like that kind of dynamic. Um, but yeah, this whole timeline where we have like, okay, Ringo's gonna go do a movie. Jo- like you got like Josh, just, you know, earlier said like you know they want to work through the weekend, get it done, and you know like yeah, they're not really enjoying it the way they should be. You know, they're not giving themselves the time to enjoy it. And I think that you know if they had if they, they had given themselves a few months to like maybe make this album, I think you know the rooftop concert's great and everything. But I think they would have had a had a little bit more time to like come up with something even more incredible, um, you know. But it was it was kind of like yeah, like we know what's coming in. Then let's get this over with. 
I'm kind of t- sick of your company. <laughs> it's kind of how I feel about it in a lot of ways. Uh, well, Josh, well, yeah, go ahead, Jake. Well, like I, I, like you say that they don't aren't enjoying themselves. I think that they're enjoying being together and playing music. I don't think they're enjoying doing the actual work of right. making an album. Right. Like they seem to have a lot of fun messing around playing old blues songs. Yes. And and you know dicking around on the piano and on the guitar and you know making up stuff but they're not having fun actually like all right we got to you know make sure we're in this chord and you got to come in there and that's that seems like that's being the issue but them just all the four of them being in the studio together messing around that seems to be what they're enjoying yeah it seems painful when they're like working on for instance like i've i've got a feeling i think i listened to it about 10 times in this episode like yeah. they they go through it a whole bunch of times and 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 there's a whole bunch of moments where it's like you know no do this or do that or no you're on A and then I'm over going over here and going to D oh no actually you're in the wrong spot and you can just see yeah I agree with you Jake that well, they're kind of like having a hard time with that work well and again um when Billy Preston comes in um I think it's George who says you've given us new energy and from then on in that episode they're a lot more focused on the songs and what they're doing. Like it seems like that kind of gave them like, all right, we're we're set now. Like we can kind of rock these things out. Yeah, Josh, what do you make of Billy Preston's arrival here? Um, is that kind of what they needed? Uh, just another voice. Yeah, like well, it's funny. It's ironic that you say that because one thing I thought was weird is, I mean, obviously it's because uh, because you know, of microphone choices and things like that. And they probably didn't expect to have a fifth guy, but you basically don't hear Billy Preston say more than two words in the entire episode. It would have been kind of nice to to get a little more insight into his relationship with the Beatles, because from the video, it looks like they really get along. They laugh, they joke, they, you know, they even made a comment about making him the fifth Beatle when he wasn't there, but we don't get to see any real interaction. We don't get any insight into their relationship. But uh, I think that having him there, um, you know, he's another professional musician that they knew from before they were super famous. They're telling him, we want your help recording an album. They're not just going to dick around when he's there because they'd be wasting his time. And I think they're all polite enough individuals, at least to other musicians, that they're they're going to work and they're going to record when he's there. And I think that, you know, what Jake said makes sense. The days that he wasn't there, they didn't work as hard and they did have a little more, uh, uh, you know, conflict in, in, you know, guys, we got to get this done. We got it. There's a couple of times where Paul kind of got says like everyone like quiet, we got to record this again. Like, you know, whereas when Billy was there, they were just, it just seemed like they were doing it. Yeah, no, that's a great point because I think you're right that they, they're kind of on their best behavior when Billy's around and, and, and it's like, even though like they're the Beatles and they're the boss, even of their own record that, yeah, you're right. That they're, they're more, much more professional when he's around and when he's not, yeah, there's a lot more of those old dynamics come back and a little bit more, you can see like the unresolved bickering that's going on uh, underneath the surface. Um, So yeah, yeah, go ahead. It reminds me of like, you know, when you find out that this couple breaks up and you're like, oh, but they were like the perfect couple because when they're around other people, they're acting all perfect and right. like, you know, 
cordial to each other. And then as soon as they're home alone and the door closes, they're fighting all the time. And that's what the Beatles are like. They're like a couple of four where when it's just the four of them, they're always, you know, the fact that George can walk out on them one week and then, you know, a week and a half later, they're all working together. That literally in my head reminded me of like a fight with like a, a spouse where you can have this crazy fight and the next day you're, you're best friends again. And I feel like the Beatles are like a couple, there's four of them, but when he's around, it's like, all right, we got to act well. There's another, another person here. Do you know what it's kind of like, Josh? It's kind of like a curling team. You know, there's, yeah. there's four of them. There's four on a curling team. You know, and there's definitely, Ringo is definitely the lead. George is definitely the second. And then it kind of switches between who's the skip and who's the vice between John and Paul. You know? That'd be annoying. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Which is, I think is what's kind of, I think is kind of like the major problem in the band at this point that John is kind of not the boss anymore. Paul kind of wants him to be the boss, but he's not really doing it. And, and so Jake, do do you kind of see those dynamics? Do you think like Paul's like, I kind of want to be the second in command, but you're not, you're not doing, you're not taking the reins of this band. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Paul doesn't want the responsibility responsibility. I think he wants to just kind of, you know, like, be a musician. Like, that's why I think he's kind of struggling with, um, like Epstein being gone and stuff like that. Like, I think he, I don't know if it's in this episode or if it's in the next episode, but there's a lot of that kind of like, I want, you know, just to play. I want to be a good band. I don't want to be bossing everyone around all the time. That's kind of a theme throughout the whole series. Yeah. And I think before it was nice to have, brian epstein be that person they trusted him he would be like all right boys wear a suit all right boys this is your show and you're gonna go play here and you're getting on a plane here at this time and you're gonna go over here and play this concert and then you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that and they were like great you know it was much better to have him be the bad guy and now i think that was a big mistake that they made when he died that they didn't get a new manager they were like okay we're gonna manage ourselves and i think that was a mistake that they made they should have hired somebody that they could trust to do it but i don't think they ever found that person that they could trust i think but, they, you know that's kind of what ends but, up breaking up the beatles but, but again in hindsight say they hire a manager and it mm-hmm. screws everything up even worse it could you might not get a sergeant pepper you might not get a magic like, history tour yeah yeah exactly like maybe the whole of course history changes maybe make one more album that sucks and they have more issues and then they break up then like it's one of those things where it's it, it could have been better. It could have been worse. It could have been. Yeah. You know, you never know because history, you can't go back and change it. But um, I just, I think that's interesting that they never did really find a manager. You know, they do talk about in this episode about Alan Klein, which is, if you know anything about Beatles history, and I, I'm sure you do, Jake uh, and yeah. Josh, um, that Alan Klein was kind of like the a main, main fork in the road between the Beatles, you know. Which, you know, I, which I would argue is the biggest factor in them breaking up. Is Alan yeah. Klein. Yeah, Alan Klein and, and Paul wanting Linda Eastman's father to be their manager. You know, the after this album is when that whole argument starts to occur. Um, you know, because they record Let It Be Here and then they're gonna start to work on Abbey Road right after this, which is they start working on it in February. It's amazing how they just bust these albums out. I mean, like other bands, you know, lucky to have two or three songs as good as one of these songs on these albums. And, and they're just incredible at like just pumping them out. Josh, like, what do you make of like 
just how fast and like their production level, even though they seem like they're goofing off all the time, they're just pumping out this music. Well, one thing that I, I mean, it's really interesting watching this, especially like for me, Let It Be has always been kind of like, you know, I didn't think it was a bad album. I know when it first came out, a lot of people were disappointed in it, which I think was more because it was the last album, but it's never an album that I, you know, would not, it's not like Sgt. Pepper's or the White Album where I'll put it on and literally like listen to it from start to end. Cause it's just like, for me, those are, those are just two great albums and they're so different. Yeah. Um, whereas you know, uh, Let It Be has always been, okay, there's like two really like popular songs. There's three or four good songs. And then, you know, it's kind of short. There's not much going on. But watching this makes me really appreciate the fact that they're also working on a lot of the songs that end up on Abbey Road. And it's almost like Let It Be is like the leftovers. And it's kind of crazy because a couple of like the songs that they were focusing on in this episode, at least, which was like Two of Us, Dig a Pony, and I've Got a Feeling, like, they're all really good songs and I appreciate them even more watching kind of the process of them working. Like, like the watching them record, I've got a feeling over and over and just Paul's voice in that song. Like, it's just so, I think it's awesome. And the fact that they can do that is, you know, why I think what you said is um, so true. They just have such good production. They're, they're literally writing these songs in a day, recording different versions of them. And then they're on the album. Yeah, like they even they show you uh, for you blue in this in this episode where mm-hmm. they actually show you the take that goes on the album, uh, and, and the, I the part about uh, the the part about for you blue, which was interesting, is that how George was saying how it's kind of like a nice simple song. He's like, it's a one take wonder, but it could be a four take wonder, and it ends up being four takes, and they get it like right away. Yeah, and the slide guitar that John's playing is awesome, and well, even and, he knows it's awesome. And, well, and the piano how. He wanted to make it like the bad piano, so he put the newspaper. Yeah, the honky tonk. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I like that part a lot, where they kind of just kind of showed like the quick. All right, let's knock this song out, and they just like it was like boom, and they did it. It was really, really, really cool the way that they, uh, well, like, especially the way the film kind of showed it. I, 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 and I noticed that a lot with George's songs that like when they when they want to do his songs like they can really pump them out. Whereas with I find with John and Paul's it's like no we do this here no we do that here we should do this harmony bit we should do this melody and, bit you know all the time. And I think that's George knowing that they're not going to want to spend a lot of time on his songs. So I think he goes in with a plan of being like all right this is like this is the song and it's just like do this do this do this do this and we'll play it and that's it. It's not. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. I I would say though, in defense of of especially Paul here, obviously I'm a, I'm a big Paul fan. Um, you know, I think him and John are used to. They've always written together. Like the fact that they've made a partnership that their all their songs are going to be together. Um, you know, it's not like they're hanging out after this studio session and writing songs together for the next day. And I don't think either of them is at this point in their career, super used to writing songs from start to finish on their own. They're used to this process of trial and error together. Whereas George, he's always kind of written his own songs. He's he's used to it. So basically it just sucks that George and Ringo have to sit through John and Paul doing their thing, coming up with these, like finalizing these Max, songs. Maxwell Silver Hammer? Well, exactly. Like, first of all, I don't know. It's a, it's a fun song, but it's not a good song. Um, and yeah, I, it's just funny how often in this episode they you see that anvil sitting there in the in the corner of the the frame, and they're all just looking at it all day, like, oh, we're gonna have to do that stupid song again. Yeah, so yeah, Mal- Paul wanted that to be a single, and that wasn't gonna happen. 
<sighs> you know, that song's not for everybody. You know, I, I, you know, what's funny? You say that, um, Josh. That is Amanda's favorite Beatles song, and every time she says that, I'm like, uh, I mean, I like it, but it's not, it's not nowhere near my favorite. You know, that's like your favorite Leaf being Nick Ritchie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. It, it shows Paul's got a lot of range, though, right? Like someone who can come up with Eleanor Rigby and then also Maxwell Silver Silverhammer, like they're opposites. Yeah, they are. They're completely opposites. But you know, in some ways, like you know, okay, the Maxwell Silverhammer song. If we could just talk about it quick, it's basically like this, like you know, um, you know, honky tonk, but also kind of like a vaudeville style. But it's like you know, they're also doing the whole like back. I feel like it's the most similar to like a sergeant pepper where john's doing all the backup background vocals and you have like i don't know it's like a dark song but it's all happy like you know so all those kind of things that i think paul does really really well is in that song it's just like it's kind of a i don't know it it's not like it's it's almost like if he kept if he kept it in his back pocket and maybe released it like five or ten years later after kind of working on it a bit and like figuring out exactly what he wants to do he could have made it really good but yeah it just wasn't it didn't really have the right like um vibe to it i guess it might have made a better wing song yeah 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 uh well well and i know there there's a tape um from like maybe later like 1969, like later in 1969, um, it's like a famous tape where the it's the Beatles are trying to make things work, and George and Paul and John kind of make make the the not an agreement, but they suggest maybe for future albums we just each write four songs individually. And I think um, someone makes a comment about I think it's John who says, you know, nobody else liked Maxwell Silverhammer, so just don't do a song like that or something. Oh yeah, and they also didn't really like Obladio Blada, you know. So like, there's a few songs that like stand out where, you know, they worked on them over and over and over because they could they couldn't get them right too. I think that's the other part of the problem is like what Jake just said. Like if they had sat on some of these songs for a few years and then figured out what was wrong or what was right with them, they could have maybe polished and refined them. But like they were like so good of just pumping out songs or like. I think they're like, no, we've worked on it enough, and if you ha- can't get it right within, you know, a month, then then there's something wrong with the song, you know. <laughs> you know, I think it's like I know with Obladiobada, for instance, they kept trying to make that song slow, and then and then like they like I, I, there's a famous story where John walks in the studio and just starts pumping it, that that fast piano part, that whole part is was not originally how the song went like it was supposed to go way slower and and he kept working on it and working on playing it over and over and over and and just wasn't working and it wasn't until john did that 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 was how they kind of figured out what was wrong with the yeah because it was it was originally supposed to be almost like a reggae type of like right vibe like a nice slow and then it did just probably obviously didn't sound right like, why would the beatles kind of have like a reggae kind of uh, and, speed so yeah they kind of sped it up and the reason why it was like the reggae vibe was because where he got that phrase from was was this black guy that was with them in india who always kept saying oh bloody oh blood man life goes on right like that was like the whole story it was like the you know so like i think that's why he wanted to do it that way but then it just didn't work you know uh so it, i think when you look at you know sometimes you know 
it just needed another voice or it needed maybe a different perspective. But sometimes I think Paul, especially, has a he's like, This is the way the song's gonna be, this is how it's right in his head. And any good artist I think does that. Kind of goes, No, this is the way I look at it, is how I view it and you know, support, you know. Yeah. And and there was actually an exchange in this episode. Um I can't remember. It was John and Paul and they were saying like, you know, remember how we used to, when we first started, we go on tour and every time we sung the song, it would be different and we'd forget parts and over, you know, playing it 50 times in gigs, it would come out with the final version. And I think it was Paul who kind of said, yeah, but I like it better this way. Like, you know, you just pick how you want the song to be and you, you play it that way. And I think that's exactly what you were saying is it, it might be that if it, uh, if the songs evolved organically over time, they might, we might end up with a better song than forcing it to work in a short period of time. Yeah. I think like if, and if they had toured, I think you, they would have done that more, you know, they would have forced them to kind of play it on stage and then figure it out. And I think that's why bands love touring too, because it, it, they get to play the same songs over and over and kind of figure out, Oh, okay. We could play it like that. Or we could play it like this, you know? So yeah, I, I remember like when I was in high school, I, I went to a lot of, old old guy concerts like I, I saw like alice cooper and van halen and motley Crue, and i thought it was funny you know we we would make jokes that it's because they couldn't do it the same anymore but you would they would be playing songs that they've literally probably played hundreds if not thousands of times and they would yep. still do riffs and make changes and things like that at this point so it's kind of cool like that bands will do that yeah, absolutely. Like I've seen Elton John two times in concert and he played a lot of the same songs and he would play them a bit differently, you know, and I think that's, you know, if they don't, then they just get bored. It'd be like, you know, watching, making the same movie over and over, you know, it's, yeah, be it's, like, it's not a science, it's an art, right? So it's going to yeah. be different every time. It's a mundane it's thing. Like cooking, not baking. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to describe it. Okay. Uh, let's, do you guys want to talk a little bit about the India stuff that they kind of like where Paul was talking a little bit about all their footage that he was watching? Um, you know, he says he watched it the night before and he, they come in and they, they go through a lot of the India stuff. Um, you know, Ringo said, <laughs> I think at the beginning of the episode, uh, the director yeah. asked him, do you like India? He goes, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you make uh jake of all the the india stuff uh that that paul and all the footage uh, i thought it was interesting like, i mean that was obviously like a not a turning point for the group but it was kind of a like a kind of a change and their whole kind of vibe with the whole um especially like uh george getting into the whole harry krishna hinduism um i think it almost kind of that was kind of their change from being, you know, the Beatles kind of boy band to kind of being their more on the edge sort of band. Um, I thought it was interesting them kind of, well, especially just it, like them putting this in this documentary. It kind of kind of shows where they came from into making a lot of these songs. And, but also that it seems like they recall it all as being kind of good memories too. Um, with Paul talking about it, it seemed like it was actually a really a positive time. Yeah, like I think like George asks Paul, like, did you like it? Like he because he's kind of talking about it in two ways. He's like saying like, oh, no, like I really did enjoy it. But at the same time, it was kind of like you could tell Paul's a workaholic and he was like, I'm not in the studio. I need to be in the studio. I got to get this out of me. Josh, like, did you kind of feel that way? Like it was like I feel like George was almost a little bit offended 
in some of the ways he was talking about India. Yeah, I mean, I, it, this episode was weird for me, like the whole George thing, because I felt like they there wasn't a lot of there was hardly any audio of George and the video we see of him, like obviously the 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 documentary is very open with the fact that the video we're seeing doesn't necessarily line up with the audio. So a lot of times they're showing a George reaction where he looks kind of annoyed or whatever, but I don't, I take that with a grain of salt. Um, The thing with me for the India was Paul kept kind of saying like, Oh, we weren't really being ourselves there, which is weird to me because like, you know, they're there and they weren't thinking about who they were being. And George tried to say this, but he said it, in probably even more convoluted than I'm about to try to explain it. Um, he, you know, they're, they're there, they're, re- they're relaxing, they're doing a bunch of drugs. Like they are being themselves. I think it's almost like Paul was kind of trying to say, we should have been more of the Beatles when we were there rather than these random dudes, like in India, learning the culture and writing songs. Like I think Paul wanted them to, to treat India more like a work thing, whereas they ended up treating it more like a vacation. Well, I, I, I see what you're saying there for sure, because I think um, when they went to India, it was all under like the tutelage of the Maharishi. And it was like he, he talks a bit about how it was like school and it was like, you know, he was the headmaster. And, and which is interesting because both Paul and George went to a Liverpool boy, all boys school. So they know very well what this is like. Um that like whenever they wanted to sneak off or like do do drugs or whatever they were doing, it was like you can't you know let the the Maharishi know, um, you know. So I think that's kind of a part of what he's referring to is like okay, it is like the Maharishi was kind of like their their headmaster, telling them you know you can't do that or you can't do this or you know you must you know meditate this many times a day or whatever and and i think they kind of jake like do you you kind of see what i'm saying here where they got to a point where it's like oh this is all this isn't us like you know at least that's how i think how paul viewed it um that was it was a little it went a little too far and i think that's kind of what he's saying oh yeah definitely yeah no i saw that yeah, like where where George, but I feel like where George is so into the Hare Krishna and, and the Hinduism of it all that I think he, he's a little like, what do you mean? Like you don't like you don't you didn't like believe any of it. You were just like playing along. I think it's kind of where where okay. he's coming from, you know, uh, you know where where Paul doesn't say that. He kind of like corrects him and says like, no, 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 I do like I do I, I totally understand where you're coming from. But he's like when we're there, it was like a little like not we weren't being true to ourselves is basically what I think he's saying. Okay. And there there was actually a scene at the very start of the episode when they were still at Twickenham when George wasn't there. And I think Paul and uh, I think it was Paul and Ringo were kind of making fun of George for the Harry Krishna thing after they got those flowers. And they're kind of like, you know, I wish those guys weren't around here. Like, you know, I I, honestly, the, the most I know about Harry Krishna is, outside of George Harrison is there was like a Mad Men plot line about it. Like, you know, I know it was big in the sixties. So, yeah, like I, I, I don't think they actually tell us who who sent those flowers, but it's really I love how much they crack up about that. Where, like, they're like, "Oh, flowers for George Harrison." I feel like that's something maybe John did or something like that because <laughs> I don't know. It's so funny. Like, it's it's such a like you know, <laughs> you know they knew he wasn't gonna be there. <laughs> so, yeah, so sent a card. <laughs> you know, just like just to kind of like I think break the tension because I think somebody knew. That there was going to be tension there, you know. 
Um, maybe it was George himself. Who knows? But um, th- I don't think they ever say who sent the flowers. Uh, I think they, uh, Ringo said it was the Harry Krishnas. Yeah, the Harry Krishna sent it. Oh, it was the George's friends that were in yeah, the first I mean. episode? Like, yeah, oh, so, okay. so that's what I mean. So then they kind of made jokes about that after, but like how they kind of thought it was weird that those guys were always hanging around. Like, there's obviously like a little, like, I don't know. George seems like he's kind of the oddball that, that, that they sort of make fun of him sometimes for what he does. And I think that contributes to the tension. Yeah. Like, like, and they're kind of making fun of his religion, which is, you know, in some ways a personal thing, like in a lot of ways, it's, it's, that's what he believes. And that's, you know, let's, you know, let him do his thing, you know? And I think, um, and I think where, yeah, John bought in, in, in the India stuff where, you know, when they went and then I think he like, I, I don't know. The spell was broken from the Maharishi on him. I think something happened. I don't know exactly. Like, I don't know if you know, Jake, but like, there's this whole um, moment where John kind of is like, no, this guy's a kind of a fraud, you know? And that's why like, that's the whole sexy Sadie song is like, is about that. And you know, that, that, that there's no more Maharishi <laughs> after yeah. after they go to India, you know? So something occurred where they were like, oh, this guy's, you know, you know, not, not on the up and up. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I saw, yeah, definitely. There was something going on there that we'll probably never know about, but I guess the thing, that whole India thing was kind of a mystery of really what kind of went down. I'm sure there was a lot of like weird, weird stuff happening. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Let's get back to the, the studio where. No pun intended. Right. (laughs) Uh, where yeah, the other thing I thought was really interesting about this documentary too, especially in this episode, how much Glenn John? I don't know if you know who that guy. I'm sure you do, Jake, because you're a big Who and Zeppelin fan. But yeah, he's like basically the producer of this album. Yet he, they yeah, he's a sound engineer. Yeah, yeah, but they just call him the sound engineer. He's you know because what ends up happening with this album is they a lot of the the tapes get leaked. I don't know if you guys knew that. Where so like get back and. A lot of the different of their songs get leaked somehow, which I, I wonder how that occurs, you know, like and who gets in trouble for that. But um, uh, Glenn John was seemed like he was going to be the producer of this album. And then they gave it to Phil Spector after it got leaked because, you know, they wanted to redo it and then kind of change it. So like the leaked versions weren't, you know, weren't the same. Uh, you know, what did you make of Glenn John uh, in this in this documentary, Jake? Uh, and how he kind of his dynamic with the band because we don't get to see George Martin, which you know he's the famous producer, you know even though he's there, he's not really producing. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I like you, like you said, like uh, you don't really see George Martin that much when it seems like he was such a big part of the band in this period, like especially with Sgt. Pepper, the White Album. He was kind of the like the orchestrator of everything. Um, but yeah, with Glenn, he seems like he has obviously has a good relationship for the band because they always seem to kind of having their back and forth, kind of making fun of each other. Yeah, uh, he 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 helps write like helps with writing the songs and stuff too, which I thought was cool. Like in the first and, episode, and he, and he plays on some of the albums too. Yeah, like Paul's coming up with "Let It Be," and he, I think he's the one who like tells him, "Oh, you should do like that. Ex- you should do that extra little part with the piano at the end." Like I thought that was cool. I don't mean to interrupt there, but like yeah, like it's it's weird because. Glenn came up with like several versions of this album, which I guess were rejected. And then Phil Spector ends up coming out with the one with the orchestra and changing it. And that's the one that gets released. And it got released to 
not very good critical reception. So, yeah, yeah, and, and so like, there's also the moment in the first episode, Josh, where I think they're working on um, uh, "Don't Let Me Down," and like they're like, "Oh, you," and they're going through the melodies and the harmonies. And he's like, "Why don't you sing it?" You know, the first line, you sing the second line, and you all sing the third line together. You know, yeah, and that, and that kind of stuff. You know. Uh, but he he would go on, I think, like right after this to go produce Zeppelin One, you know. Yeah. So, so he, he's a very prolific producer um, in the history of rock and roll music. Uh, still alive, I actually went to the premiere of this. So, uh, a super interesting guy to to listen to. Um, we also have, uh, you know, okay. So at the end of this episode, they kind of get to the point where they start talking about um, this idea of. Okay, well, like, what can we do? A big spectacular payoff for this movie because it's going to be a movie now, not a TV special. And I don't know. I think the, kind of the coolest moment of this episode for me is the when they they walk up to Paul and they tell him the idea to do it on the roof. Yeah, uh, his face lights up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His face is like oh, like like the light bulb goes off, and he, you know, did you you kind of see what I'm saying there, Jake? Like, uh, is that kind of like? To be like, well, yeah, because that, that was right. At, that was right after his speech where he was like, "Where's the payoff? Like, are we just making another album after another album after another album?" Yeah, and they say, "Hey, you can go up on the roof and play." And he's like, oh, that's something. Like, that's something interesting. That's something different. Oh, and one thing, I like, because you were talking earlier about Glenn, John, and how he goes on to be like a big deal. At one point in the episode, like, is they point out that the guy who's like operating the tape machine is Alan Parsons. Did you yeah. guys catch yeah. that? Yep. I was yeah. like, what? Cause I know he was, he was a engineer on Abbey road, but literally he's working as like a lackey, like changing tapes when they're doing this entire thing. And, and that's so cool. Right. Like doc, doc, Dr. Evil's master plan. Exactly. <laughs> so sorry. Again, I just, that's something I wanted to, to mention on the, on the, their podcast like that's <laughs> crazy that they have all this talent in the room and it ends up being again what was considered at the time not a great album well uh, alan parsons also like he he was working on them with even sergeant pepper at the same time working with pink floyd on saucer um uh, you know piper at the gates of dawn so like he was working he was like all around emi at that time so yeah he was just like a lackey though it's kind of crazy how you're right how many um they just showed like Alan Parsons tape operator, like or something like that in the in the documentary. Like they don't they don't explain anything. It's like a little Easter egg almost the way they did it in this. Okay. There's one thing I want to ask you guys about the rooftop thing. Because okay, so they, they get this idea to go up onto the roof and they're scouting it out here at the end of the episode. Now, at the same time, only a few like minutes before, they're talking about Martin Luther King. And that he would have, you know, his whole I have a dream speech. And it was like this huge giant poem who had just been assassinated, like, you know, only a few months before that. Kennedy had been assassinated six months before that. And then also Bobby Kennedy. You know, what are they thinking? <laughs> doing a rooftop concert, open air, right? Like, I mean, like, I, I guess it's the difference is it's in England, you know? Yeah. But yeah, also they're not going to, they're not going to. And yeah, it's completely unannounced. And it's completely unannounced, and it's not like you know. Then playing a concert in the open air would be even probably more dangerous because they know people know when it is. They have a clear line of sight, I guess you could say. But yeah, also being in England, I guess they're not too concerned. 
Yeah. It's not like there's going to be time for someone to plan to kill them. Like they're doing it like four days later. Yeah, I think that's the kind of the key. You're right that it was not, you know, only a few people would have even known about it. Um, you know, but at the same time, I don't know. Like, I guess that's just they didn't probably think about it. You know, like it wasn't. It probably didn't even really cross their minds because I think of those things you just said that that was in England and it was spontaneous and nobody would have seen it coming. Who's going to plan? And you know, how many people have a rifle in downtown London? You know. Also, um, I know this is like obviously in hindsight not true, but they were probably like, ah, who would want to assassinate a random like Beatles? Pl- person you know we're not we're not a politician it's not like some crazy guy with catcher in the rye is going to show up yeah like you know and we're about you know 41 years ago in a couple days it will be you know the anniversary of of john lennon's assassination um you know so like we have all this kind of like i don't know, just kind of going through my mind when they're scouting out the rooftop concert i'm like are they kind of like did they even think about this like did somebody say to them like wait a minute Guys, I better I better dinner enter anyone's mind. Yeah, they probably at the didn't, time right? they, they didn't think about it. like it wouldn't have been a thing. Like it's like oh we're just musicians, like we're not activists, we're not politicians. Even though at the same time, like you know, John's doing a lot of his like you know bed piece and stuff. I actually, or maybe that was this year. Maybe that was actually after this when he started doing all that the Montreal bed bed in. I think that might have been in 1969, but he might have done it. He might have done one earlier. I don't know. Uh, I have to look at the dates of that. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. But they're definitely they definitely have a message. But yeah, they're not as like I don't think they look at themselves as influential as a Martin Luther King yeah. Jr. No, as you know, Martin Martin Luther King in the South during the Civil Rights Movement. Like you're a bit yeah. of a target. Like yeah. Well, and okay. So like before we move on, I do want to kind of comment on Peter Jackson's some of the stuff he was doing in this episode, like I'm a huge Peter Jackson fan because I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. Yeah. But uh, you were talking about the India footage earlier and I kind of felt like maybe he included the India footage to set up when later on Paul's using like a kind of mock Indian voice when he's singing, I think he was singing Get Back for a bit in a in a voice. So he's trying to try to to couch that. And then I think bringing up the Martin Luther King stuff and showing that footage um, was again trying to show you know the progressiveness of the beatles and then they bring in like a black person to play piano like i think it's it's part of the narrative at the same time like you know i'm not i'm not making a political statement or anything i just i like that peter jackson sort of making these little stories throughout the episode and i think that's that's why he did that because it's probably just a few throwaway lines where they're talking about martin luther king there I, I definitely think that you're right about his editing choices, that he definitely wants to set up certain things and make you think about certain things as as he's going along in the story here. But yeah, I, I you know, and I really I agree with you that he's he's definitely apparently this took four years just to remaster and like basically make it HD. So if you're going through all that time of four years, you're gonna constantly be editing and constantly figuring out oh this should go here that should go here and you know i i i just like the amount of um attention and care that he put into this documentary uh yeah joe it definitely shows um peter jackson for me is like a hit and miss guy like i mean uh, the lord of the rings stuff like i like lord of the rings but it's not like my favorite thing i know you love it josh um some of his um i really love um the world war one documentary that he made which also took four years yeah, they um, show that grow. Oh, great, great the, movie. 
yeah awesome and you know so for me all that stuff's great uh but like you know king kong and stuff i get like I, the one thing i appreciate about him is everything he does he's he he is genuinely interested in he won't do anything that's like oh i'll do it for a paycheck you know so that but like the hobbit movies like those, those are tough for me to go i've tried watched them they're they're tough for me uh okay you know, but i've got to defend the guy he got he got really put in a bad position there he had a tougher time with the hobbit movies than the beatles had trying to put out this album right because he had guillermo del toro leave the project and he mm. basically came in partway through and had to salvage it and the studio also forced him to make it a trilogy and i think he's realized though now that trilogies work because i don't know if you guys noticed but he made this get back documentary into a trilogy he did and uh originally i think he wanted to make it like one six hour thing but they were like no break it up into three episodes which is smart uh okay uh all right anything else here guys that you know that that popped out in your mind jake anything you want to kind of mention before one of the kind of interesting things i remember from this episode is probably the very end when they're rehearsing let it be yep and they're just getting completely buckled they're just like downing drinks i don't even know what they're drinking but they're just by the end they're just hammered and you can tell paul he's slurring his words he's giving them instructions and he doesn't even know what he's saying and then yeah. they just keep playing and playing and playing and playing. And that's kind of the end of the episode, which I thought was interesting. Whereas they perfect that in, you know, the next week or two. Right. I mean, I, yeah, I really like that stuff too, because it just goes to show like, you know, yeah, they weren't always like workaholics. They, they were, even when they were partying though, they're working, but it was never like always serious, which I think a lot of people always kind of thought about the Beatles that they, they, they couldn't, like you know have fun um josh anything else you kind of want to bring up quick uh here uh that hasn't been mentioned yet i think i did most of it in my last few uh little interruptions um you know i i think the biggest thing that stood out to me in this episode was you know i've never been a big john lennon guy um mm -hmm. i've always been a paul guy and he he was like really funny. Like he was, he was the jokester of the group, which I never really would have thought. Um, and, you know, I really like this episode really showcased that and showed his sort of role. Like he's, he's making his, his jokes all the time. You know, your host for the evenings is the Rolling Stones. Like he said that like 14 times and it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, I really liked seeing the John stuff in this episode. Yeah. I was, I was going to say it's uh, the second episode. It's basically like, Disney Plus put out like a John Lennon like stand-up special. Like it's the yeah. whole episode yeah. of him just being a complete goofball. Yeah, it was um, awesome. I loved it. The, the one thing, yeah, like I, I think, you know, John is definitely for me like the the funniest. Like I think Paul has the most talent, funny wise. Like he can do all these crazy voices, but John's like wit is definitely unmatched by the rest of them like he he's always quick and he's all like there's the whole moment with glenn johns where it's like uh ringo do you have a damper on your on your bass drum he's like the only damper around here is you glenn you know like all or, that kind of stuff. or he's, he's like, like john can you turn on the bass on your guitar and he's just like <laughs> yeah he's, he's like it's not as good now it's not bassy you know it's yeah. like that like he's he, he's he had a great way it seems like of uh, being funny but getting his point across at the same time which um yeah, you, yeah i don't know he seems like a really like what, cool, cool guy 
No, for sure. Like that's why I think it's funny. Um, we were just talking about his assassination, and I think uh, one of the the things that uh, Mark David Chapman has says said is he didn't like the whole "we're more popular than Jesus" line, like the famous line. Yeah. And you know, watching this, if you didn't already realize it, like John was joking, and people just took it way too seriously. Like he's he's a funny guy, and he thought that was a funny line, and it ended up causing so many problems for the Beatles and him. I think it was definitely a not gone off the cuff remark. Um, and yeah. then when, once he had to start kind of like, um, like defending it, he was like, you know what? It's actually true. You know, he's like, there is something kind of wrong with the fact that like more people are in to us than, you know, religion or good things. I think that was kind of also the point he was making, but people didn't <laughs> want to hear it, you know, uh, Jake, uh, anything to say on that one? Yeah, I think that's uh, like I even think it was during a press conference and he was asked like a question about like, oh, you guys are so famous now. How do you deal with all this attention? He's like, yeah, we're bigger than Jesus now. Like it was a completely off, off the cuff kind of funny comment that was just taken completely out of context. Yeah. And, and again, yeah, then just became this. You know what? The one thing I really noticed about that was how much things have not changed since the 60s, like the way the media deals with popular figures like you said what and it just becomes like this crazy viral thing and and nobody really listens to the context of it it's just you know on face value and like that's really we still do that today like there's you know there there's actually there's way more of it today uh than there was back then it seems like. but it's still a constant that didn't change um you well, know was yeah, go ahead, Josh. There was that line where, because John was kind of complaining this whole episode about how he was kind of sick, and then he made a line about, oh, I've got the Hong Kong flu. And I looked up what that was, and there's literally like yep. a mini pandemic in 1968 called the Hong Kong flu, which right. was like H2N4 or something. And again, things never change. We're literally living through a pandemic right now, and it's been given like names after asian places before like it's just crazy how at times they say the same history repeats itself it definitely uh you know yeah that's the one thing that, like you know dave said it um last week josh that like you know we you know when we were growing up we're all around the same age like well i always kind of like looked at the 60s and dave said this too that it was like this time a long, long time ago. And it was like a generation we'll never understand. And it was a, you know, people in a time that like we look back at with like rose colored glasses, literally. And, and the one thing I really, really like about this documentary is like, actually it's pretty much the same. It's not that different than today. And, and we look at it the wrong way through a weird lens that I don't think is necessarily true. Uh, that th these are just at the end of the day these are four people in a room playing music and if you did you could do the same thing today and it wouldn't be that different you know I completely agree that's exactly and like i mean you know the 60s seem a long time ago but when we were little kids they were the same distance as the 90s are to us now you know what i mean like it's yeah and, and people are gonna do the same thing with the 90s they already do oh, 90s kids stuff like that like yeah you know, it's everyone's the same. We're all the same. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Life goes on within you and without you. As George. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
Okay, so I think that's pretty much everything we have to say about this episode, guys. Um, you know, join us next week, uh, everyone. Uh, so when we cover the final episode, the rooftop concert, I think, is what part three is mainly going to cover. J- Jake, you've already watched it. Anything? A little preview, uh, a little tease, maybe for the audience. Um, yeah, I think the coolest part in episode three is the editing choices that Peter Jackson made for the rooftop concert. Pretty much the entire thing is either um, like two screen, four screens. It's showing different camera angles. It's showing, you know, from the street. It's showing people's on the street reaction. It's really, really interesting. And it's all in real time that they show it. So it's really, really cool. It's so basically awesome. the whole last hour of the, uh, the third episode. Yeah. Cool. No, I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, yeah. So. Join us next week for that. I think that's really exciting. Uh, we also have a whole bunch of other shows here on this channel, which is Super Made Bros Podcasting, where we cover Survivor on Wednesday nights. Uh, Jake, Josh, have you guys been watching the most recent season of Survivor? Oh, we watch it every Wednesday. And and how? what have you guys made of this season real quick? I think it's probably one of the worst seasons in the history of Survivor um, because of the fact that Jeff probst is throwing out all these crazy new twists and none of the players use them or do anything with them they just don't happen like the do or die i I didn't get but yeah they threw in a lot of stuff that's like they threw a lot of stuff at the wall and a lot of it isn't sticking and i just think the cast is really kind of boring and unlikable like there's no one really that they're kind of rooting for like they they voted all they voted all the cool people in the first 10 up like first five episodes that's how I felt about it too. Like I still, I in our draft, I drafted Deshaun and um, Erica, and I'm like, I don't really know if either of them have a chance of winning. But this whole season, the way they've edited it has definitely changed um, the way we view the show. Which that part's interesting, but I don't know for the better. Uh, <laughs> so join us uh, for that. We also cover um, you know, a lot of Marvel stuff on this channel. I think we are doing. They're going to be doing Hawkeye coming up soon. Uh, Dave Mater, my brother. Uh, there, um, yeah, and, and so yeah, join us for that. And then on also on our Star Trek channel, we have Live Long and Podcast where we do a whole host of shows. On Tuesdays, I do uh, Deep Space Nine at nine ish, uh, where we cover Deep Space Nine we're on season four right now uh we're almost through it so we're we're getting to the good the really good stuff of uh deep space nine um on mondays uh today i I believe they just started up a new podcast they are doing enterprise it's been a long road getting from here to there uh but you know they're covering it i think somewhat reluctantly but if you really really love star trek enterprise which it's a few it's a select few people watch that um on uh, uh on this weekend i think uh, no is it this weekend no next weekend uh we will be doing another version of star trek radio theater i don't have the poster if dave was here he would show us uh we will be doing star trek first contact yes we have a huge cast for that so we're, this is where basically star trek radio theater is we get the script from a tv show of star trek or a movie and we read it out as if we're the actors and it's basically all theater of the mind and uh it's really a lot of fun so if that's something that interests you uh you know check that out it's a it's fun to just throw it on when you're uh, doing work or uh you know driving somewhere it's It's like an audio book 
It's basically like an audiobook. If you don't want to watch the movie, you just want to listen to the movie. And we do fun, wacky voices. You know, it, it's great for that. Uh, also, on Star Trek Radio Theater. Oh, no, it's our Live Longer podcast. Uh, we, am I missing one, Josh? Oh, no. There are so are covering Discovery. Yes. Um, there's Joe. Yeah. And then there's also Jody's podcast that debate. Trivial Debates podcast. Oh, we also, yes, we also have Trivial Debates. Trivial Debates is um, uh, basically it, it's a trivial debate format uh, where basically a host comes up with six questions uh, and, and three different contestants give their answers and they debate it to see who is the most right according to the host. So check that out. We do that once a month, usually at the end of the month, the last weekend, the last Sunday of every month so check that out i think the most recent episode is up where they had uh, three different contestants from three different countries so that was very exciting yeah. uh and i think that's it uh, also joe uh davin skellhorn our second cousin dave and i's second cousin um he has a podcast called Lacuters of trek so check that out uh that's another another star trek podcast yes we're hitting you hard with the star trek content here um he does all sorts of different shows called one called debate nine uh you know so he has a a a whole bunch of different ones where they just talk about star trek more from like a philosophical stand um you know viewpoint and they they look at it that way uh and have a great discussion so check them out we also have my nephew amon mater he has a podcast called um let's talk about fighting games where he talks all about fighting video games so if you're a big video game nerd uh that is the podcast for you and i think that is it so join us next week jake shields josh shields thank you for joining us here on the second episode of get back the beatles podcast uh we will be here same time 9 30 monday next week to cover part three the rooftop concert for all of us here at Super Mater Rose Podcast. I've been your host, Jeff Mater. We will see you next week. Get back. Oh, thank you.